I guess I'm getting close into my race too. Just about everybody we started with has gone on. Esther's still here and Ed's still here. Everybody else has moved on out. That's how it is. Thank the Lord there's there's another generation of saved people coming along behind to keep the work going, keep on going for the Lord. We'll have more to say about our sister Jan when she uh, crosses that finish line, but uh, if you knew her in her days of health and zeal, uh, you know she had some very peculiar notions, and had absolutely no tolerance for anyone who did not agree when she just told it like it is. But I, I, I'll say this, in all the years that I've been saved, I don't know anyone who was deeper in sin when the Lord found them than Jan was. And I can honestly say she went as hard the other direction as she had gone. When she was living for the devil, she gave it her all. And when the Lord saved her, she just reversed course and gave Jesus her all. And you might not have done it the way she did. In fact, if more than two or three of you had done it the way she did, uh, I'd have probably had to resign a long time ago. But there was never any question about where her loyalties were. And... We could, we could do worse than standing before Jesus and saying, from the day you saved me, I was faithful to you, and to my church, and to my pastor. There aren't many people who say that. So, praise the Lord. All right, we studied Jesus as Savior, but we didn't complete that study. There's just a little bit of it uh, left to look at. And we studied Jesus as Son of God, but we didn't finish that. There's still a little bit of that uh, left to finish up. So we're going to finish up those two uh, names of, and titles of Jesus this evening. Savior and Son of, well, not really Son of God, Son of, of many things. And we'll see that when we get to it. First of all, Savior. Let's go to Isaiah 43 and Psalm 106. Isaiah 43. And Psalm 106, Isaiah 43, Psalm 106. Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners. Praise the Lord for that. Any sinner that will put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, He will save them. In In addition to that, He's the Savior of all men. Now that doesn't mean all men will be saved, but all men could be saved if they would trust the Savior, for they all have a Savior in Jesus Christ. In addition to that, He is the Savior of Israel as a nation. Not every individual Hebrew or Israelite, but the nation as a whole will be saved by this Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, And verse number 3, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. 
I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. The Lord said, I'd take out an entire nation if that's what it took to deliver you. I would take out seven heathen nations if that's what it took to give you my land. I will come on a white horse and, and shed blood till it flows as high as the reins on a horse's bridle and, and slay so many men that you couldn't count them all if that's what it takes to preserve Israel and to give them the promises I made to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of Israel. Now, keep your finger there in Isaiah and look at uh, Psalm number 106. Psalm 106. And verse number 21, they forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Notice, though they might forget Him, He is God their Savior. And many times throughout Old Testament history and, and seemingly on a perpetual basis since the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, they have forgotten their God. But He's still their Savior. And for all of their sinning against Him and all their denial and all their rejection, He will still come and deliver them out of the hand of all their enemies. That's the Lord's faithfulness. Now, back to Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. Both of those verses we read look back to the day He delivered them from Egypt. But in Isaiah 49, the Bible says this. Uh, start at verse 24. Shall the prey be taken for the mighty, or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contended with, we, with thee, and I will save thy children. And I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh. And they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know. That I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Now I look at this thing, and, and I don't know that we're in the last days. Honestly, I don't. I, yesterday, Brother Perry F. Rockwood was on the radio, and he was preaching how all the signs of the times indicate that Jesus must be coming very, very, very soon. And he pointed to the Soviet Union, and he pointed to China, and he pointed to the Middle East, and he pointed to the economic troubles in the United States of America. And he referenced President Carter. Brother Rockwood's in heaven now. And yet, everything he said was as timely as if he had made that recording last week, other than... Carter being president, instead it's, you know, whoever, whoever it might be. We know who goes out and makes the speeches, but we're not sure, really sure who the president is. Uh, anyway, but Jesus will save his people. And I was just thinking after listening to that message, what, what hope does that little sliver of a, of a nation have against 
Palestinians and Jordanians and Egyptians and, and the Jordan, Jordan and Syria and, and then Iran and Iraq and, 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 and then you, you spread out and, and here come the nations of the north and here comes Rome and they want their piece of the action. Here comes the, the armies from the east crossing Euphrates and you look at that thing and it's absolutely impossible that Israel could survive much less become the head of the nations and the ruling power on the earth. And yet they have a Savior. And that Savior said, they intend to to kill your bodies and I'll, I'll cause them to eat their own flesh. And they intend to shed your blood, I'll cause them to drink their own blood. He said, I'm going to slaughter them. I'm going to wipe them out. He is the Savior of Israel. And you can, you can do all you want. You can find USA in the middle of Jerusalem and, uh, 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 and you can find, you can find in the middle of Louisiana too. So I don't know what that, what that proves. But uh, try to make the United States God's chosen people. And if my people that are called by my name and all that, listen, we are not God's people. We're Gentiles. We're a melting pot and a mixed this and a messed up that. And, a, and, and we might have at one time had some Christian principles and foundations as a nation. But that land was given to the Jews. And the Jews aren't white Americans and they're not black Hebrews from Chicago. And they're not Farrakhan followers and they're not... New Testament Christians who don't know the difference between uh, the resurrection, you know, the crucifixion of Christ and the Passover and all that kind of. Listen, Jews are Jews. They're the flesh and blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the whole it seems like every nation on earth wants to destroy them. And the only explanation for their survival is they got a savior, yes. Amen. and their savior is going to come back one day and deliver them from all their enemies. Isaiah chapter sixty. Can't say that often enough. Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah 60. I've been to Washington, D.C., and many of you have as well. And there's books and booklets about all the Bible verses that are on monuments and plaques and paintings and everything else up there. And, and there are, that's true. Right alongside pictures of false gods and, and false religions and blasphemous uh, depictions of, of this and that. And so that's what America is. We got, we got Christ and we got Buddha and we got Muhammad and we got yoga and we've got, you know, you know LSD and, and all. I mean, we, we got it all here in America. You're free. But, uh, that's, that's not what the Lord's talking about when he talks about his people. Now, uh, Isaiah 60 and verse number 14. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee. And all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet. And they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. And thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles, and shalt suck the breast of kings. And thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. There you go. Now there are people right now that are of the persuasion that the Jews are behind everything. And 
Look at how awful it is. You know, they set up a banking system and they, and they get all our money and they set up a medical system and, and they control our health and they set up the Hollywood and the media and they, and they brainwash us in that way. And look, you know what? If all of that's true, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know what the Lord just said? You can hate them all you want. You can hate them for as long as you want. But one day, you're going to get on the ground in front of them. And you're going to get on your hands and knees and then put your face at the soles of their feet and say, what can we do for you? Isn't that amazing? Now, when you say that, this this animosity and resentment wells up in the hearts of, of so many Gentiles. It's just phenomenal. And you can't explain that. Other than the Bible's true. Why do all these nations hate that little bunch of people? And you, I mean, it's, it's a crazy thing. They've made, I mean, let's say the Jews do run Hollywood. I don't, I don't know the, that they do, but people say they do. Let's say they run Hollywood. They've put out about half a gazillion movies about Hitler and the Nazis and the Holocaust and the persecutions. Not one movie about Stalin. But a zillion movies about Hitler, and yet for all that, people still think the Germans are great people and the Jews, you've got to watch them. Well, you've got to watch over those Jews. Now, if they're not chosen by God and hated for that reason, you can't explain that. Well, you know, they come to a city and they, and they you know, they stated themselves and they talked funny and they, they got their own funny ways. Yeah, but you don't feel that way about any other group that does that. Nobody says, well, you know, there's Chinatown over there. How can we do something about Chinatown? There's Puerto Rico town over here and Poland town over there and, and Little Italy over here. And nobody says we got to get rid of those people. But boy, you let, a, you let a group of Jews walk down the sidewalk and everybody gets all weird about it. I'm just telling you, the Bible is true. And if God picks a piece of ground, then that's a piece of ground everybody wants to shoot missiles at. And if God chooses a people, that's the people that's been uh, somebody going to try and exterminate about every hundred years. And if that's, that's just how it is. If God's got a Bible, then all the other Bibles are going to say it's better than that one. Just thought we'd bring that up. How come every time a new version comes out, the ads never say it's easier to read than the NIV? It's clearer than the New American Standard Version. Why are all the attacks in the advertisements for every Bible that comes out against the King James Bible? That ought to tell you something about it. So, all right. Let's go to Acts 13. When will the Lord save the nation of Israel? Acts chapter 13. It's a nice chapter. When you get it, turn to Acts 15. <laughs> Acts 15, verse 13. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. That's the church age. And to this agree the words of the prophets. As it is written, after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. 
And I will build again the ruins thereof and set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. So, New Testament church, after that, Lord comes and restores and rebuilds Israel. And after he's done that, then the Gentiles will come and benefit from the Hebrew kingdom with King Jesus sitting on the throne at Jerusalem. So, he's, he's my Savior, but he's also a national Savior to his chosen people. Alright, now, let's go to another topic. Jesus Christ, we looked at him as the Son of God. Absolute equality with the Father. And then we started last Sunday looking at Jesus as the Son of Man, God manifest in a body of human flesh. But there are many other designations in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ that refer to Him as the Son of. And we want to run through those quickly this evening. Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter number 5. This title occurs only once, and it comes from the, I started to say from the lips of an unclean spirit, comes from the lips of a man possessed with an unclean spirit, it's the words of an unclean spirit. I'm going to read you a verse before we read the Mark passage. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God, small g, of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan is said to be, in 2 Corinthians 4, the God, small g, of this world. Now look at Mark chapter 5 and verse number 7. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Now, this unclean spirit is the servant of a God. Satan. Small g, the God of this world. He is a soldier in the army of Satan. But when he speaks to Jesus, he acknowledges that though I have pledged my allegiance to another God, at the, at the cost of my everlasting being, I will be tormented for following Satan and making him my God. Nevertheless, I know that you are the Son of God, absolute equality with the Father, but he, he states in, in clarity, the Son of the Most High God. And that unclean spirit acknowledges that though I am bound to another God for eternity, you are a God supreme above the God I serve. And one day, one day, all these people said, well, I just believe in, you know, you worship any God you want to as long as you've got a God. One day they will stand and acknowledge that Jesus is the most high God. He is above whatever gods they imagined or whatever gods they, they truly and actually followed. He is the son of the most high God. All right, Second John 
chapter 1. Son of the Most High God, that's found only once in the Bible. 2 John chapter 1. Second John chapter 1 and verse number 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. It's a blessed thing to understand scripturally and biblically that God occupies the place of Father, provider, protector, life giver, all that goes with that name Father, that's our God. Jesus Christ, if He is absolute equal to God, Son of God, perfect equality, if He is therefore the Son of the Father, then He provides as the Father provides. He protects as the Father protects. He gives life as the Father gives life. He is is not only God manifest in the flesh, He is Father manifest in the flesh. And let me say to to those who are present and those uh, who are, are listening today and the days to come, these really are perilous times. And no doubt, men who preached 50, 60, 70 years ago were not addressing congregations, many of whom, who either knew nothing about what it meant to have a father. But maybe worse than that, maybe who had suffered greatly at the hands of their father. And so, I'm addressing, I I understand, I'm addressing people tonight to whom the term father may not carry with it any, any idea of protection or provision or confidence or there for whatever you need me to be there for. Look, if you've got a dad that's everything one is supposed to be, do you realize what a great head start you have on a relationship with God? I don't, I don't know that you could. But to all those growing up without a father, without a provider, without a protector, without safety, without fellowship, it is very hard to understand God the Father. And so you know what Jesus did? He came into this world as Father manifest in the flesh. Look at what he did for Peter after Peter cursed him and denied him. Look at what he did for the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and all their confusion. Uh, look at how many times he told his disciples he was going to go to the cross and die. And they never did get it. And yet there he is, cooking fire, bread and fire on the coals for them, and preparing breakfast and couldn't wait to fellowship with them. There he is sitting in the upper room with a bunch of men as confused as they were when they started. And he said, with great longing, I've desired to eat this feast with you. And you know what? We're going to eat it together again in the kingdom. It just, what, a, what an amazing illustration Jesus was and is of that unconditional love mixed with perfect judgment and correction, provision and protection. He's the Son of the Father. I saw, I, I, don't, I don't understand, I don't know what the context of it was, 
But the guy, is one of these little clips, somebody sent it to me, and the guy said, look at that. And he said, what? He said, look, it's, it's a bare arm. And he said, I got a tattoo of my dad. Now you think about that. You know how many people in this world don't even know what their dad looks like? They don't know who he is. Never was there. Never will be there. And so you start telling them, you know, God wants to be your father. What does that mean to them? God wants to care for you and provide for you and protect you just like a father does a child. You're talking to thousands of people in your city to whom that holds no appeal. But there is one they can know who's the father in a body of human flesh. And he showed love and he showed provision and he showed protection and all of those things. Thank God Jesus is the son of the father. Praise the Lord. All right, Mark 14. Let's go back to Mark. Mark chapter number 14. All right, somebody's got to help me here. I've got Mark fourteen sixty one. I'm pretty sure that's not in the Bible. Jesus is the Son of the Blessed. Well, no, wait. Hang on, hang on. There's no John fourteen sixty one, but there is a Mark fourteen. I could see better before I got glasses. There we are. Mark 14.61. Just testing you there. Just see you. What does it mean to know Mark 14.61? I got Mark Do You got Mark 14.61? That's why you often hear people praying, Lord, give our pastor clarity of thought. Tonight. All right. Mark 14.60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? See the capital B there? God is the Blessed. They they blessed God. They praised God. They worshipped God. They adored God. And this man is asking, Do you dare claim to be the equal of the one we worship? Do you dare to claim to be the equal of the one to whom we sing our hymns? The one to whom we offer our sacrifices? Would you stand here on trial and call yourself the son of the blessed? Verse 62, and Jesus said, I am. (laughs) I am. Now, you couldn't have hit him any harder. He could have said yes. He could have said yea. He could have said thou hast said. He could have said thou hast answered correctly. But he just thought he'd make it unmistakable. I am. So he's claiming, yes, I am the one you worship. I am the one to whom you give sacrifice. 
I am the one to whom you offer praise. When your high priest goes behind the veil in the Holy of Holies, he speaks to me. I'm absolute, the absolute equal of the blessed. Son of the blessed. Praise the Lord. That's only once in the Bible. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter 1. I got the right book this time. And verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. See the highest there? That's, that's the father. And he's the son. He's absolutely equal. But don't you like that term? He's equal to the highest. So the father's not above him. He's not a lesser God. He's not an inferior God. He didn't become lower than God when he took upon flesh. He's, he's absolute equal of the highest. I like that. Now, in, in nations with monarchs, we don't have that in America, I'm glad. But they, they will say things like, your majesty. That's, that's God's title. Some religions, they'll call someone the vicar of Christ or that sort of thing. But one of the things they always say to the kings is they say, your highness. Your highness. You, you're, you dwell on high. You, you occupy a high place. And I, I recognize that, your highness. But even your highness must bow before the highest. There's only one who's the highest. Now this world, people always say, well, this world is just not fair. No, it's not. And, and the more attempts they make to make it fair, the more unfair it becomes. But let's just face it. If you're born in this world to extremely wealthy parents and grandparents... Your entire life is going to be completely different than somebody born in a slum or in a ghetto or in a... I mean, you can't deny that. Now, you can get education, but you can't get the education he can get. And you might be smarter than him. But the fact that he went to a school you couldn't get into is, is going to give him opportunities, advancements. So, so it's always going to be that way. And you just got to understand, I understand it, some people don't understand it. It'll help you to understand, no matter where you are in life, you're always going to be looking up at somebody. And no matter what you spend on your car, somebody's got a more expensive car. And no matter what your phone can do, somebody's got a phone can do two more things than yours can. And no matter how expensive your house is, somebody's got a bigger house. And it's just, so just get over all that. Because if you got to the very top, you'd still have to look up. Because the highest is Jesus Christ. He's the absolute equal of the one to whom everyone looks up. So I'm okay with that. And I, don't, I guess everybody's raised different or they think different or something. I just, I, I've never spent much of my life envying what other people have. Because I don't know that they're happy. I'd rather be happy and content and satisfied with what I got than have, have more than what I have and be miserable with it. 
I see a lot of people, all kinds of stuff, and they don't seem to be happy to me. And I see people with next to nothing. Some of them seem quite content, quite satisfied. So I just try to stay where God put me, not exercise myself matters too great for me, not get caught up in covetousness and envy and all that kind of stuff. Look, if, you, if you're the movie star of the year this year, you're going to be the ugly has-been in a decade. Yeah. It's not going to last. You're the great number one top-of-the-charts singer, uh, you know, this year. You, you won't be in two or three years. I mean, it, it, it's just, it's just a, a, a flip of the page to go from being cute little Hannah Montana to bundle of trash, filth pot, Miley Cyrus. And what's the next step down? I mean, you, how, how, when you, you think you can't go any lower, you go lower. So I don't, I don't, I don't need that. I know the highest, and the people I know may not get me into into certain restaurants and certain country clubs, and and I might have to stay places where they leave the light on for me, and and I got to carry my own bags in and, and all the rest of that. But the person I know, he's going to prepare a place for me in heaven. And he's going to personally come and get me and escort me there. Now, once or twice, I've had... We'll get back on the same. Once or twice, I've had the preachers, and they want to do something really nice for you. And they said, oh, brother, we, we got you in this, in this hotel, and, and we, we, we've been saving money up because you're going to come, and, and you've just done so much for our church, and we want to put you in. And, and they give me directions, and I, and I pull up, and I'm looking for a place to park. And they stopped me and they said, well, no, you don't park. We park your car for you. Well, I don't want to do that. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm supposed to give that guy something. And I honestly have absolutely no idea what to give him. I'm supposed to give him 10 bucks and I give him two. Now they know I don't belong there and they're liable to. You know. And I sure don't want to give him 20 if I could have gotten by with giving him 10. And I don't dare ask him, what do people usually give you here? Because he's going to tell me a hundred. <laughs> so, so, so I don't know. And then, and then they come out and say, can I get your bags for you? And, and, and all that. And it just, that stuff just makes me nervous. Now, some of you, it might, it might make you real happy. It makes me nervous. I sit down to eat and there's like six or eight pieces of silverware. I'm just nervous wrecked. Because I'm going to grab the wrong one at the wrong time and stick it in the wrong bowl. And all the, all the snooty people are going to look at the, oh, look at that guy. He's, what's he doing? He can tell he's never been here before. Yeah, I'll never be here again either. But, uh, so I, I don't understand all that stuff. Here's what I know. For about 12 bucks, you can get all the bad steak you want. And for 50 bucks, you can get a little steak about that big with a piece of parsley beside it. (laughs) Now, some people like that because they put little squiggly stuff on the mashed potatoes, but (laughs) not enough mashed potatoes there to even fuss over. (laughs) But anyway, everybody's different. Some people like that stuff. But all I'm saying, I'm sorry, Lauren, I didn't mean to offend you. But... I'm just telling you, no matter high up you, how high up you get, there's somebody, there's somebody up above you. And ultimately, it's going to be the Lord. He's the Son of the Highest. Now, if you've been planning to take me out to a nice restaurant, just ignore everything I just said. Because <laughs> I'd be glad to enjoy your fellowship. <laughs> Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter number 6. 
Mark 6 and verse number 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now this is not a name by which the Lord referred to his son, but this is the name by which he was known amongst the people. He's the son of Mary. Mary's got lots of other children. Why does this child think he's any different? Or why are we supposed to pretend like he's any different? He's just one of Mary's, Mary's children, Mary's offspring. And yet, that is who he was. He's the son of Mary. And I like that the Holy Spirit records it this way. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Doesn't say, is not this the carpenter's son? Though they could have said that, had the Holy Spirit recorded them saying that, that would have opened the door to plenty of skepticism about His virgin birth. So the Holy Spirit carefully selects from all the things they said about Jesus, He's the carpenter and He's the son of Mary. And that, that is, that's exactly who He was. That's only used once. Now, we do have three times... Let's go to John one forty five. We do have reference made on three occasions to Jesus as the son of Joseph. But watch watch the context in which it is found. John chapter one and verse forty five. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And you can see from the context that what we're doing is we're tracing the Lord's lineage and establishing his right as Messiah and his right to sit upon the throne. So he's, he's the fulfillment of the prophecies and he's in line for the monarchy. All right, then one more here. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. In a similar fashion. Fifteen times we have this expression. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And again we see genealogical lines Abraham traces him back to the origin of the, of the Jewish nation, the Hebrew people, and tracing him back to David gives him the throne rights over that nation. So, he's the son of the Most High, the son of the Father, the son of the Blessed, the son of the Highest, the son of Mary, the son of Joseph, the son of David. Okay, finally, finally, Matthew 3, Matthew 17, And John chapter 12, Matthew 3, Matthew 17, and John chapter number 12.
All right, let's start at verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, wiped off his forehead, and lo, the... No, I'm sorry. He went up straightway out of the water which means to be baptized, he went down into the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He is called my beloved Son by God the Father at his baptism. Matthew 17, verse number 1, bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. Verse 2, was transfigured before them. Verse number 5, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. A second time. God the Father speaks from heaven and refers to Jesus Christ as my beloved Son. John chapter 12. Verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So God the Father speaks from heaven, reminds his beloved Son, that I have glorified your name and you will go to that cross and you will pay the ultimate price. And on the other side, I will glorify that name again and again and again and again and again. He is my beloved son. And nobody can say that but God the Father. Now we can call him the beloved son, but only, only God the Father can call him my beloved son. So Jesus Christ is the Savior, and He's the Son of God. Lo, these are parts, but parts of His ways. Amen. Amen. All right. Father, thank You for Your Word, Holy Bible.